Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our new series in 2 Timothy called Make It Count. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled Courageous Enthusiasm. The evening dinner gala aboard a certain cruise ship was in full swing. While seated at the head table at the place of honor was a 70-year-old man somewhat embarrassed by all the praise that was being showered on him that night. You see, the entire banquet aboard that cruise ship had been called in his honor. Well, earlier that day, a woman had fallen overboard, and within seconds, this older man was in the water at her side. The woman was then rescued, and this man became an instant hero. So the banquet was in his honor. Words had already been said of his great courage. The captain had made a speech of deep appreciation. When the time came for this brave passenger to speak, he rose from his chair and went slowly to the microphone. The entire banquet room grew still, and everyone wanted to hear what this brave man had to say. But what he said was probably the shortest hero's speech ever offered. He stared out at the audience, waited for a moment, and then spoke these stirring words. He said, I just want to know one thing. Who pushed me? (laughs) Well, heroes are rare. Jesus himself said, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Well, that's because the drive for self-preservation is so strong in all of us. Courage can so easily fail. And yesterday, I introduced us to a new series called Make It Count, based on the book of 2 Timothy. And we'll be encouraged in studying this book to give away everything for the cause of Christ. This little book, 2 Timothy, is Paul's last letter, writing to his young disciple Timothy while he's awaiting execution in a Roman prison. So today, we're going to get into the details of the letter, and I I want you to notice Paul's attitude in this great crisis in his life. I also want us to learn from him that we are to risk all for the gospel with a courageous enthusiasm that just never quits. In short, we are to develop the same attitude the apostle had, serve Christ fearlessly, regardless of the obstacles that we face. So here's our text, 2 Timothy 1, verses 3 to 7. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. See, I don't know about you, but, you know, I find this an amazing beginning to this book. Sitting as he is in a gloomy dungeon, being given the word that he will surely be executed, Paul writes his last words to his dear friend Timothy. And as he begins to write, his first three words after the introduction are, I thank God. Now, on the one hand, that shouldn't surprise us. It's the way he begins all his letters. For instance, after his introduction, that's how he begins Romans. Romans 1 verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Or listen to the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you. I mean, you can go through all Paul's letters and you'll find that theme of thankfulness that simply permeates them. So on the one hand, the fact that he begins by thanking God for Timothy, that's not surprising, or is it? 
See, Paul has built thankfulness as a habit throughout his life, so really, why should he stop now? You build a habit like that, and it will direct your life. But on the other hand, how is one thankful when, at least from the outset, it would seem that all reason for thankfulness is now gone? And again, I ask, or is it? Look again at Paul's expression of thankfulness. First part of verse 3, I thank God whom I serve. And the issue here is that Paul expresses his service to God not in the past tense, but in the present tense. Not, I thank God whom I served, as if the service has now come to an end, but right now in this prison cell, I find myself in service to God. Do you remember Peter and Jesus walking on the shore of the Sea of Galilee after Jesus was raised? Jesus is telling Peter to love him. And during that talk, Jesus indicates to Peter what kind of death he would glorify God. Yeah, you can glorify God in your death. And yes, you can serve God in your death as well. But Paul believes that this is how God called him to serve in this hour, by going to the execution for the glory of God. And he's thankful for the opportunity to do so. Do you see the implications of that kind of a worldview? You you can be lying and dying on a hospital bed and in this death find yourself serving the master who called you to that very moment. And that's Paul's outlook. That's why he's profoundly grateful. What a privilege, he says, to serve God. So let's keep reading. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. So when Paul says that his conscience is clear, he doesn't wish to communicate to Timothy that, well, he's sinless. I mean, just go back to Romans 7, and you can find out that Paul had struggles just like that of any other believer. But his conscience is clean. So let's for a moment notice the difference between being sinless, which Paul is not, and having a clean conscience, which Paul does have. Some of us will remember the words of Hebrews 10, verse 22a. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. So a cleansed conscience is not only the person who's been forgiven by Christ. Of course it means that. But for Paul, as he awaits his death, there are no unresolved and unconfessed sins that he still has to deal with. You know, or contrast Paul with men like Hymenaeus and Alexander, men he spoke of in 1 Timothy 1 verses 18 to 20, men who ignored the flashing lights of Scripture and of conscience, men whose service to God was now a disgrace. And Paul's not like that. He has served his God with a clean conscience. What a liberation he must have felt. I can go to God without this nagging feeling in my head that something's not well. Instead, Paul says, my conscience is clean. But I've still missed one little phrase, haven't I? And that's the phrase in verse 3. Paul is saying, that he's serving God as did his ancestors. And I need to stop here because of what that communicates to us. See, Paul's stressing to Timothy that as he preached Christ everywhere he went, he wasn't introducing a new religion. What Paul now believes and what he taught is what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and David, and Isaiah believed. But when Paul was a young man as a Pharisee, he had actually departed from that one true faith. But when he met Christ, he entered fully into the faith of the Old Testament. Indeed, that's precisely how he expresses himself when he was on trial in Jerusalem. He said, and it's recorded in Acts 24, verse 14, he said, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, 
believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. So in the First Testament, you know, believers trusted in God's promise, and they looked forward to the Messiah who would come. And now in the final testament, the New Testament, believers trusted in God's promise, just like the First Testament prophets did. But now we look back on what the Messiah has accomplished for us. So let's just quickly review, shall we? Paul begins this letter. He tells Timothy that even though he's about to be executed, he finds himself deeply grateful to God. And again, we ask why, and the answer is because he alongside of all the saints of all the ages past, have been invited by God to serve him in the hour in which they lived. And now this was Paul's present hour. So this is his internal reason for joy, deeply joyful, a conscience at peace with God, standing alongside of the great saints in the past, and a full understanding that his death that he is about to go through will be a service that he renders unto Christ. And so there's joy in his heart. But there's also an external cause for the joy. Look again at verses 3b to verse 4. He writes, As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. So that external cause of joy, it's Timothy. One of the great investments in Paul's life was into this young man. And Paul's constantly praying for him. Not only has Paul joined the ranks of the faithful throughout the ages, but he also knows Timothy has joined those ranks as well. And what's more, Paul remembers Timothy's tears. Of course, we can't be sure of what tears Paul is speaking about, But it seems likely that Paul's remembering the tears Timothy had when they last saw each other. No doubt, Timothy knew that Paul would soon be arrested. Perhaps they would never see each other again. And the tears were evidence of the great love that Timothy had for his mentor. And sitting inside the dungeon, Paul reflects on that moment and a smile stretches across his face. He's not alone. Since 1957, Back to the Bible Canada has provided excellent, trustworthy Bible teaching to Canadians. The result of faithful Bible teaching is thousands of lives being encouraged, challenged, even transformed from coast to coast. What is accomplished can be attributed to people like you who share a heart for the Bible, but also those who share a heart to provide Bible teaching resources beyond our borders. Partnerships around the world ensure that we do our part to sow God's Word through Bible teaching programs, print resources, and Bible teaching conferences beyond the confines of country, culture, or language. February is Back to the Bible Canada's International Ministry Month. Your one-time gift toward our $50,000 target or considering becoming an international monthly partner would do so much. To give or to sign up for monthly partnership, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. All of us know people who start off strong in their faith and then begin to tail off. They commit themselves to following Christ regardless of the cost, but then over the years, the costs begin to mount up and they think, well, perhaps I can't go forward with this, you know, courageous enthusiasm. I mean, how can I? 
So here's a hint as to how to serve Christ with courage and fervor all of our lives. Make joy and thankfulness a habit. If you complain now in the small things and do so constantly, you'll complain when things get tough. If you learn in everything to give thanks and know of what you speak when you give thanks, I mean, you can identify why you're so overwhelmingly grateful. And what are the things that you need to practice or what are the things that you need to be thankful for? Well, you need to be thankful for an enduring faith and for the rich friendships that arise because of your faith. You see, a faith that allows us to join the ranks of the ancient servants of God and a faith that locks us arm in arm with those who serve. And if you become profoundly grateful for that, knowing these things are more precious than money and fame and safety and comfort and a good reputation, you know, if these are held as precious and you constantly give thanks for them, well, you'll do well. But what else can we learn from Paul? Well, he's giving thanks in his dungeon, and his mind is now engaged in the nature of Timothy's faith. Look at verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And notice several things. First, notice that Paul is completely aware that when it comes to Timothy's faith, there is one adjective that so beautifully describes it. It's the adjective sincere. And the word means something that's not pretended or put on for show. There's no hypocrisy there. Timothy's faith was what it appeared to be. It was a confident trust in Christ. Secondly, notice that Timothy was not the first in his family to come to faith. Both his grandmother and his mother were in Christ before him. So clearly those two women had played a major role in Timothy coming to Christ. In fact, a little glimpse of that story is found in Acts 16 verse 1. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And putting things as he does, Luke, the author of Acts, wants us to know that Timothy's father was not a believer. You know, since the First Testament forbids Jews to marry outside of their race, so it would seem to me that Eunice was a nominal Jew when she met her husband, who was a Greek man. Both of them must have gone on in this fashion And then both Eunice and her mother Lois comes to faith. You know, it's clear that Eunice's husband didn't come to faith. And it's also clear that in this environment, Eunice and Lois were praying for and sharing the gospel with Timothy. So I want to say something here about mismatched marriages. I mean, the kind of marriages where one's a believer and the other's not. If you're in such a marriage and you wonder whether you can win your kids for Christ, you ought to take heart from this example. Here are two women influencing their son to come to Christ. You know, another application is the impact of godly grandparents that they can have on their grandchildren. So grandparents, please don't underestimate your advantage. I've heard many a person tell me they came to Christ because of the outstanding witness of a grandparent. So let's get back to our theme, this courageous enthusiasm. We're trying to remember why Paul had such courage and passion for Christ in his last hours. And first, we notice that it was his habit of reflecting on what made him truly thankful. Now we notice that he's remembering God's past actions, and he's remembering how Timothy came to faith. Timothy's faith was genuine. It was a gift from God. And if you have faith in Christ today, please, please, please don't attribute your faith to your decision to believe. Attribute it to God's gracious gift to you. Remember that Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us that we're saved by grace through faith, and this faith is a gift from God, 
Never forget that you believe because God has had mercy on you. Never forget where your faith came from. Never forget the means whereby you came to faith. Never forget the people that God used to bring you to Christ. And as you think of these matters, the thankfulness of your heart will begin to grow. And there's something still more vital in this passage that brings us to the heart of what Paul's expressing. Verse 4b, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. So the thankfulness for Timothy leads Paul to long to see him. Notice that later on in the book, he takes it even one step further. Look ahead to chapter 4, verse 9, where Paul says to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. That might seem like a small matter to us. You know, we might email or text someone, you know, saying, hey, you know, I'd love for you to come over and visit. You know, if they're particularly far away, like on the other side of the world, well, that might seem, you know, a bit expensive. So it might feel like it's asking for a lot. But listen, Paul's in prison because Christians all over Rome have been rounded up and many of them are being killed and a major persecution is underfoot. So this desire to see Timothy, that Timothy would come, well, it is asking a lot. And we might ask it of Paul. So you want to see Timothy, but is it safe? But Paul knows something. If Timothy were to come, his presence would not only be a tremendous help to him, it would be a tremendous witness to fearful Christians. Now to verse 6. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So back in 1 Timothy 4 verse 14, Paul told Timothy not to neglect the gift that was given when the council of elders laid their hands on him. And so clearly here, the gift that Timothy had came through the laying on of hands, hands which would have included the hands of Paul himself. And they had to do with, well, according to 1 Timothy 4.13, it had to do with the reading of Scripture and the preaching of Scripture and the applying of Scripture to people's lives. So Paul's telling Timothy, you don't just have faith given by God, you also have a calling and don't neglect it. You return to that, you stir up your remembrance of your calling, you fan it into a white hot flame of passion so you can't do anything else but the thing that Christ has called you to do. But Timothy has reasons not to do this. I mean, first, according to 1 Timothy 5 verse 23, he's got frequent ailments. Undoubtedly, he was not physically or constitutionally strong. He was sick a lot. You know, he might have said, well, really, I'm not well suited for this work. And by the way, I have a book on my shelf written by my mentor in my doctoral program, and it's entitled The Company of the Preachers. It's a history of preaching and preachers and reading it. I've been overwhelmed at how many of the greatest preachers in the history of the church were sick a lot of the time. Apparently, bad health doesn't exclude you from the ministry. Also, Timothy was young. And when he went to Ephesus, Paul called him to go there and as a timid, sometimes sick young man, take on the false teachers who opposed him and remove them from leadership in the church. Well, that's bold stuff for such a young man. Now to verse 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. See, one of the key questions translators and Bible teachers ask when they read verse 7, you know, because the grammar alone doesn't lead us to determine exactly how Paul meant it, is whether Paul has in mind a spirit with a small s, meaning an attitude which lacks fear, or whether he means the spirit that is capital S, Holy Spirit. See, my conclusion is, I think Paul means the Holy Spirit. I think that for several reasons. First, the Spirit here is connected to the gifts in verse 6. Second, the phrase spirit of power, 
spirit of love, and so forth, is exactly how the apostle describes the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And if I'm right about this, I think that Paul is telling Timothy that the Holy Spirit himself is the one who overcomes in us our natural inclination to fear or weakness or even cowardice in our service to God. After all, the very spirit we received in our conversion was never called the spirit of fear. I mean, he is anything but that. So now, how does one have, you know, courageous enthusiasm for Christ when it gets tough? Well, first, as I've said, we develop a thankful heart in all things. We see reason for thankfulness. You know, second, we should never forget God's actions in our lives, and that will include also how it is that we came to faith and the people that Christ used, or should I say the Holy Spirit used, in bringing us to Christ. And third, we learn to rely on the Holy Spirit. It's not hardships that should discourage us. It's the Holy Spirit that should encourage us. So let me end by asking a very simple question. Has your service to Christ been growing in enthusiasm or has it been waning? Try to answer it as honestly as you can. And today, I'm calling you to study 2 Timothy. I'm calling you back to stirring up that passionate spirit for Christ all the way through to the end of your life. John, thanks so much. You know, as we listen to the book of Timothy, it seems apparent that Timothy knew exactly what his calling was from God. Should that be true for every believer? Yes, Ben. I do think that we should spend time in prayer. You know, I, we should learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Where is he directing us? Where are our passions and our desires? Those kind of things ought to be considered. You also ought to listen to fellow believers, but you also ought to become aware of the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you, and those gifts should be a clue as to how the Holy Spirit has equipped you for serving Christ then go out and find what Christ wants you to do and do it with all your heart. Um, And don't go through life without knowing what Christ has for you to accomplish. When you know, it's amazing how your life will turn and there'll be so much more joy than what you've ever known before. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Make It Count, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Back to the Bible Canada has a global vision the size of our global mission. Partnerships around the world ensure that we do our part to sow God's word beyond the confines of country, culture, or language, and India is one example. Since 2017, in partnership with Back to the Bible India, Dr. John's messages have been broadcast in hard-to-reach regions across India, in fact, much of Asia. Three pastor conferences have taken place working together to train biblical leaders for the church in India. And thousands of Bible teaching resources have been translated and distributed to believers hungry for God's truth. And the sowing is bearing fruit. Sonu wrote to say, In my journey with Back to the Bible, I am blessed by the Word of God. Now my whole family is serving the Lord. While February is our International Ministries Month, 
please consider a special gift to reach our $50,000 international ministry goal. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.